Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, internal medicine doctor at Straub. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Why do we eat what we do? Are our cravings a sign of a nutritional deficiency? Or maybe something deeper? Well, in truth, there's plenty of scientific evidence that there's a connection with mind, body, and food. And today, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Ronnie Sato, psychologist, and Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert. They're both here in the studio, and they're going to help us figure out what makes us eat, what makes us stress eat, and can that actually sabotage our goals to maintain a healthy body and weight? They both work at the Queens Weight Management Center, practicing here in Honolulu, but also in Kona on the Big Island. And you can always join us as part of our conversation at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're going to be talking a little bit about weight management and even discussing some surgeries as well. If you or a loved one has ever had any type of stomach or weight reduction surgery, we'd love to hear from you what your experience was, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of the above. So you can join us at any time during our show. Dr. Ronnie, Connie, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Now let's talk a little bit about about why people eat. I mean, Connie, there's a certain amount where we have to feed our body. We need nutrition. We need a certain number of calories. And then every once in a while, we have those cravings. Oh, I've never had those. Chocolate, pasta, you name it. And we crave things that maybe we don't need. What are the basic things in our diet that we should try and focus on eating every day? And then why do we stray from that so much? (laughs) I've got some ideas. So to answer your first question in terms of what kind of things we need in the diet, I would say the biggest uh, word to describe would just be a variety of things, actually, a variety of proteins, a variety of carbohydrates, fats. Um, And then in terms of your second question, why do we certain why do we crave uh, certain things at certain times? A lot of factors play into that as well. Um, one which we'll be talking about today is stress. Um, sometimes it's a hunger response. Um, other times it can be if foods um, have an emotional connection, if there is a comfort food. And truly, sometimes there can be a physiological reason if um, our bodies find that we're deficient in a certain nutrient, we might tend to crave certain types of things. Um, I think that's so interesting. I've read some studies where like people who crave carrots may just need vitamin A. Like somehow the body knows and carotene, the, mm-hmm. the body knows that they're missing this particular ingredient. And so somehow the brain says, okay, we need whatever. And here's the food to go get it. And it makes us crave that particular food. Certainly that's possible. And what can be challenging about that is it's so difficult to pinpoint. Um, It's difficult to pinpoint which deficiency it might be or um, particularly if there's another reason why that food is being craved. But um, nutrition deficiencies can certainly cause, cause some of that. Do you find that are we as a society really dealing with nutritional deficiencies? Are there are there a lot of problems with getting the right vitamins and nutrients or is it more related to the foods that we're choosing? In terms of nutrition deficiencies overall, not um, we don't really tend to see that as much in uh, the United States. It's um, something we saw many, many, many years ago. Um, what we tend to find now is perhaps more of an imbalance of nutrients overall, um, maybe an overemphasis on carbohydrates, for example. Um, so, I mean, to answer your question for 
specific uh, vitamins or minerals, um, not quite so much. Um, but what we're seeing more so is um, perhaps more imbalances with the components of the food and to a certain degree also calories. Well, and I often have people come and ask me and they'll say, you know, how can I check all my vitamin levels? Because they want to take a particular vitamin or maybe they're looking at taking a supplement. And in general, we don't necessarily check every single vitamin level of your body. Correct. Because that doesn't really help us clinically give us really good information, knowing that most people are not vitamin deficient to the point of having a disease Mm -hmm. like rickets if you're having problems with vitamin D Mm -hmm. or various other sorts of things. So if you can get a healthy variety of fruits and vegetables, you probably shouldn't be deficient of any particular vitamin. Absolutely. So when people want to know if, I mean, vitamin D is a little separate, so we'll kind of put that in a separate category. But, you know, when people come in and say, how do I know if I need certain nutrients, what do you tell them? I tend to do a diet recall and look to see um, how often they're having um, fruits and vegetables, high fiber carbohydrates, protein, um, again, the variety of foods that I was talking about earlier, and really um, then taking a look and assessing, um, are there gaps anywhere in their diet? Are there things that they could um, focus on a bit more and look at it from that perspective versus kind of going the other way around and looking for deficiencies that may or may not be there? Sure. So keep a diet record. So one of the things that might help folks to know, am I eating enough, is start writing down what you're eating. Yes, that's a great method. It can really help you to see what you are and maybe what you're not getting enough of. Now, you mentioned high fiber carbohydrates because not all carbohydrates are bad. Some of them are actually really good for your body and some of them might be good, but in a different format. So if you eat too much of white rice, for example, it might get absorbed so fast in your body. There's something we call the glycemic index. So your body just sucks up those calories and gets that sugar really quickly. Whereas, for example, brown rice, it might not do the same thing. What are some high-fiber carbohydrates? Um, brown rice is, another, is a good example that you just mentioned, um, whole grain toast, whole grain crackers. Um, and I would also put in that same category, if it's not necessarily high-fiber, perhaps also just less processed carbohydrates. So ones that are found more locally, poi, ulu, ones that you know haven't really gone through a lot of manufacturing and processing, have retained um, More of the nutrients that the food naturally came with. Sweet potato is another great one. Um, Yeah, there's always that uh, Okinawan sweet potato. Yes. Yeah, everybody loves that. And, you know, it also, part of the interesting thing, and we call it sweet potato, which is ironic because it is sweeter, but it actually is better than just Mm -hmm. a standard white potato nutritionally. And yet it says sweet, so it makes us want it. Um, But, you know, part of the interesting thing is that the way the body digests those particular foods is that the body has to process it. And if your body has to work to process brown rice, dissolve the husk around it, do that other work, then it actually gives your body time to absorb a little bit at a time and also lowers how quickly that impacts your blood sugar in your body. So if we can let our bodies process foods rather than machines process foods, it's healthier for us. Absolutely. Okay. So, Dr. Ronnie, explain to me why, as much as we all know exactly how much nutrients we need, we still don't necessarily get up in the morning and crave salads. We like breads and and other things. Is there something psychologically going on that makes us reach for certain types of foods? Connie sort of talked about comfort foods. We all have our comfort foods, but what makes us reach for those? Yeah, well, I think Connie's point of being um, a comfort food, it's true. Um, I also think that 
with food comes pleasure. And so, of course, um, sometimes when we eat, we're not eating solely for nutrition, but more for pleasure. Yeah, I, I, I've i never done that. <laughs> so does that, you know, I've seen some studies where that actually highlights certain areas of the brain, where your pleasure center when you eat certain foods is similar to the pleasure center that people may get from other sorts of and dare I say it, highs, and I don't necessarily mean pharmacologic high, but there's there's centers in the brain that highlight that are very similar when people have certain types of food that they associate with a certain reaction and with a certain pleasure. And so they've actually done studies that have proven that. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of them as well. I think chocolate is a good example. Yeah, that's that's sort of, <laughs> that's my drug of choice, I'll tell you. <laughs> so why does it make me so happy? You know, I, I think there's a, a, a variety of reasons why it makes people happy. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing that it makes people happy. I think it can be a good thing. Um, I think the problem comes in when there's an imbalance. So when there's too much eating for pleasure, um, then, of course, it's going to have an adverse effect on your health. And that's where it becomes problematic. So a little bit is fine. Right. Eating one or two Hershey Kisses is fabulous. Correct. That's eating moderation. the entire bag Probably not so good. <laughs> right. There's a consequence to that, right? Sure. And so when we think about that particular issue, when you have somebody who's in the process of enjoying what the food is, are there ways, Connie, that they can enjoy it and maybe take more time to enjoy it? I mean, people always say, well, if you let chocolate dissolve in your mouth, you've just had, you know, Hershey Kisses, for example, because, you know, I'm, I don't know why I'm obsessed with them right now. I'm thinking about them. Um, but if you let one melt in your mouth, then you have two or three minutes where you get to enjoy that chocolate. If you just pound them down and swallow them without even thinking, you're not having the enjoyment. What are some of the, the ways that we can make our good, pleasurable foods last longer? Um, definitely, I think just taking your time to savor the flavor is a good idea. Um, one suggestion that I often um, make is pairing that kind of sweet treat with some kind of protein. Protein has the benefit of being very satiating. So an example would be pairing like almonds with chocolate. Chocolate-covered almonds. Yep. <laughs> you made me happy. Okay. So the protein will help with the satiation over time, but the chocolate um, mixed in there will kind of help you give that, again, personal satisfaction of um, having that chocolate taste. And there's some healthier versions than others. Definitely. So why do I keep hearing that dark chocolate is like the next best thing and milk chocolate not so much? Um, dark chocolate has, uh, I mean, there's certain, um, what are they called? Uh, Lots of different things. I health hear about benefits them. to it. Sure. There's um, I forget what it's called, but there's definitely benefits to it. It'll have slightly less of a sugar content, depending on the kind that you're purchasing. So in that regard, a small amount of it can um, definitely be a, be a bit healthier than the milk chocolate. Um, it's gone through slightly less processing as well, again, depending on the type that you're purchasing. So if you have to have a chocolate craving, dark chocolate, less sugar, could be healthier. It does have some other ingredients that... Uh, and and there's, you guys label things with these big long <laughs> words like ecoflavonoids or resveratrols or I don't know all these different things. So there are some there are some definite benefits to choosing a healthier type of whatever sweet dessert treat that you're looking for. Yes. 
All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ronnie Sato. She is a psychologist and Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert, and they are both at the Queen's Weight Management Center. And today we're talking about what is that mind-body food connection, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how does that affect what we eat and how does what we eat affect how we feel and also our overall health status. Now, if you or someone you love has mastered the art of changing their cravings for chocolate, we could all learn, or maybe just I could learn, and you could join us at any time, 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Ronnie, stress eating, real thing or just an excuse for overeating? Oh, I think it's a real thing, yes. And what makes people stress eat? Obviously stress, right? But but why is it that when they have this huge stressful reaction, they're not reaching for vegetables? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that when you stress eat, you're sort of looking for an outcome, and that is to give you a quick relief from what you're feeling. And so uh, I think that would be the nature of stress eating. Um, so again, that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing because I think it's it's adaptive to seek relief. Um, but then you have to think about the long-term consequences, right? So long-term, if you constantly eat foods that are related to trying to resolve that stress without fixing the stress, then you have these cortisol hormones, these medically, you know, adrenaline-related hormones that get released in your body. And those hormones say, quick, get in as many calories as you can. You're about to go on a long, long journey and, and fight or flight. And so then you absorb all those calories and you don't have as easy of a time when you're exercising, seeing any weight loss, or when you're dieting, seeing any results, because you're under this constant effect of adrenaline, these cortisol hormones. So it actually can really, it can it can backfire on you. Quite a cycle. All right. <clears throat> well, let's talk with, we have a caller on the phone. We have Tom from Kona. And Tom, I hear you're doing something a little bit interesting there. You're doing a 14-day fast. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I did CrossFit for about a uh gosh, about two years, and I injured my knee really bad. So, you know, when, when you get injured and you're couch-bound, recovering, you start to kind of snack and you get bored and you want to nosh on things, you know, comfort food and so forth. And I kicked tobacco six years ago. Good and I, was, I used, um, I, I used um, snuff tobacco for about 30 years, and I'm finding that going through, I'm, I'm fasting from any processed, carbohydrates right now so breads crackers cookies any any types of cereals I, I i've cut out of my diet for the past two weeks and it is really really difficult um, so you're not um, cutting out, out of- all food it's just mainly processed foods that you're really trying to avoid right and anything that would give me an insulin spike because over the last i, I injured my knee back in october so over the past nine months or so i, I put on about 20 pounds 25 pounds. And I think that is to eating rice, the wrong, you know, white processed rice. And so anything that would give me a blood sugar spike, I believe what happened to me was I started becoming insulin resistant because I started getting that, that big spare tire in my midsection. Um, so for me, coming off of this fast, what I'm looking for is, is how do I get more balanced when it comes to carbs and and just not overdoing it. Well, that's a great question, Tom, because you know what you talked about, and we just mentioned just a few moments ago, about high-fiber carbohydrates and how less processing is better. It sounds like you took a look at your diet and went, "Uh uh-oh, I see some red flags. Connie, what can we tell somebody who 
like Tom, you know, a lot of people, they exercise, they, they really work hard, then they have an injury. And then because their caloric intake might have been enough to support their extra added exercise, but we've taken the exercise away, now that added caloric intake is just causing them to gain weight. So it sounds like Tom did a great thing. He cut out some of those processed carbohydrates. How do you start to integrate some foods back in and make healthier choices about those? Okay, for one, I agree. Um, I think Tommy did a great job with self-reflection and really trying to look on your own and see where in your diet, you know, could uh, you could improve. In terms of how to kind of then rebuild after a cleanse, where do you start? Um, if you can visualize a plate, I often suggest make half of that plate some kind of non-starchy veggie. It doesn't have to be cooked or raw. It can be either or anything that you like. Then I also would suggest kind of portioning a quarter of that plate to be some kind of lean protein and then a quarter of it some kind of healthy high-fiber carbohydrate. There can be a tendency for people after, um, you know, when they're really trying to uh, eliminate carbs is to eliminate them completely, but you definitely still need some to maintain your metabolism, maintain your energy. Um, So balancing out your plate like that is um, where I would say you should start. And then keeping a food log, like we mentioned at at the very beginning, would be another way for you to kind of just assess your diet and see where else um, you could improve. So I'm curious, what's a non-starchy? Oh, Tom, thanks for calling in. I want to ask a couple of questions. What's a non-starchy vegetable? Non-starchy veggies are pretty much any veggies except for potatoes, peas, and corn. Um, Those would be falling more in the starchy carbohydrate category, but it could be your broccoli, cauliflower, zucchini, tomatoes, spinach. I mean, the list goes on and on. So if you're not a potato, pea, or a corn, you're a non-starchy vegetable. Correct. What about our friends, the sweet potatoes? Does that count? That would be in the uh, potato kind of That would be a potato. If it says potato, (laughs) it is a potato. Okay. So if it's like broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, bring on the veggies and have half of your plate be that vegetable. Of course, yes. So that's one way that Tom could really try and if he's not already having that much vegetables, he could kind of focus on that. But then also that high fiber carbohydrate you talked earlier about, brown rice, whole grains, poi, ulu, you know, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things without the word potato in it that actually could give him the energy. Because eventually, Tom's going to want to go back to exercise. And if you starve your body of carbohydrates, you're not going to have the energy to exercise. Correct. In fact, I think there was a recent study that came out, like just this past week, and I'm trying to think, see the Journal of the American Medical Association or the American Medical Journal, one of those. And it was talking about high-performance athletes and how they thwart their performance Mm -hmm. if they don't have enough carbohydrates. Because these are high athletes, you know, and they were looking at people who are professional athletics, but saying, hey, even for your average Joe or your average Jane who says, I'm going to go run, mm-hmm. don't try and do it if you haven't given your body the nutrition. Correct. Because you're more likely to injure yourself, fall down, break something yep. and have or some kind of problem. Yep. All right. So, Tom, I hope that helps you out. But uh, excellent job. I really like the fact that you sort of thought about it and said, what am I doing? I can't exercise. How do I fix this and get better? Really good idea. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ronnie Sato. She's a psychologist and Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert, both at Queens uh, Weight Management Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what really can we do for anybody to work on trying to get better nutrition during the day? And what are some of the things that can be done, both pharmacologically, surgically, nutritionally, etc., for those people who find themselves really heading 
down a path that they need to really uh, change pretty quickly. As always, our show is your show. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Are we hopeful or afraid of technological change? It kind of depends on who you ask. You can say, okay, the West Coast and the United States, Silicon Valley, they tend to be too optimistic. And parts of the East Coast, I'm thinking of the intelligence community and the security establishment in D.C., they tend to be too pessimistic. I'm Molly Wood, Robots and Cyber Warfare, next time on Marketplace from 8 p.m. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Broadway, jazz, patriotic, Hoppaholly favorites, all reimagined barbershop style. On September 10th, HPR's Atherton Studio hosts for the first time acapella ensembles from the sounds of Aloha Chorus. Don't miss their harmonies, humor, and history lessons. Two shows only, 4 and 7.30 p.m. Tickets at 955-8821 during business hours or at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings & Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Ronnie Sato. She's a psychologist and expert in helping people deal with their thoughts and feelings about food and what happens when they decide to do something about it. Both she and Connie Wong, a dietitian and nutrition expert, work at the Queens Weight Management Center. And as part of our discussion today, we are going to talk about what happens when you need surgery and if that's something that you need to do. What are some ways that you could go about getting your body ready for something like that? As always, our show is your show, and you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, right before the break, we were talking to our buddy Tom from Kona, who astutely noted that, hey, I'm not doing the exercise. I need to do something. He started working on his diet. He's going to get back into eating some of the foods that he likes after he does this 14-day of avoiding all processed foods. I'll be honest, Connie, it sounds like we should all avoid processed foods as much as we can. It's really difficult. (laughs) It is difficult, I'll tell you. I know. And we hear about people describing eating, quote, whole foods. And by that, I don't necessarily mean at the store. Mm -hmm. I mean that just eating things that aren't processed and cooking for yourself and doing those sorts of things. Now, what are some of the... You know, we reach for food when we're hungry, but we reach for food when we need emotional comfort. And Dr. Sato, when you see people who eat for, not because they're hungry, but because they need emotional comfort, what are some of the things that can help them to to soothe that part of themselves that needs the comfort without necessarily reaching for food? That's a good question. So, you know, I think... Um, <clears throat> Taking care of yourself is an important part of that equation. And so what I mean by that is taking the time to do things to make yourself feel better and healthier as a person. And so if you can sort of strengthen that area, then you're less vulnerable to falling prey to this sort of um, behavioral pattern that's not serving you, right? So if you say, okay, instead of, okay, I did good at work, I'm going to go eat cupcakes, it could be, I did good at work, I want to reward myself, maybe I want to get something like, 
that new wallet or that new purse I've been looking for? Something that might be a non-food sort of source of gratification? Right. Something that um, would sort of align with your value of improving your health, for example. So... Right, so new gym shoes yeah, inspires exactly. everybody. Right, exactly. I'm going to get a new workout outfit, mm-hmm. something that is still giving you that gratification without necessarily being, you know, something negative in the back end. Right, I, I think if you think of stress as sort of a bucket um, that sort of accumulates drip by drip, then I think okay, I don't think drip by drip. I think it's <laughs> overflowing. Okay, I think the bucket needs to be put into a bigger bucket. Okay. So the point being that if you can imagine that it's a bucket that is overflowing, um, you have to sort of come up with some different strategies to sort of let some of that pressure out. So sort of dump it out slowly. Um, And so if we can find the different ways to do that, and everyone's different, but if you can find the ways to do that, then again, you're going to be less um, vulnerable to giving in to the quick fixes like food, right? Now, what if you need a quick fix, Connie? Quick fix, but it shouldn't be... Hershey Kisses in the whole bag, besides they melt in your car. Don't ask me how I know. So what could you put in your car, for example, or what could you bring to your office that if you needed a quick fix and it, ha- and it would needed to be food because you're hungry or maybe you haven't eaten enough or you're one of those, I don't eat breakfast folks, what could you put in a, that doesn't require refrigeration, that's going to be pretty easy to eat and something that doesn't require a lot of attention if you're, God forbid, you're driving and you're eating or maybe you're at work and you're doing something. What's in there? What, what What's what's in my little Ziploc baggie? That's a really good question. What I work with a lot of my patients with is what I call smart snacking. And it would be a formula of pairing some kind of lean protein with something that has fiber again. Um, so non-perishable lean protein or yeah, lean protein food items could be um, nuts. Um, I've had people use just like dried fish or turkey jerky, beef jerky, those kind of things. Um, and then pairing that up with some kind of, um, again, something that's going to give you fiber because the protein by itself doesn't have quite as much fiber. It's not going to last you very long. So if you pair it together, the combination works well. So examples of um, ones you could, again, keep in your car or at your office desk could be um, dried fruits. It could be, again, um, whole grain type crackers, those kind of things. Of course, you would have to portion those things out because the calories can get out of hand. But um, protein with fiber is the general um, general formula that I think works well. And if you got like a bunch of Ziploc bags and you put different amounts in, you know, now zip up your Ziploc because you don't want ants in your car. And you definitely don't want roaches <laughs> in your car. And it's not that I've ever seen that happen, never, ever. But, you know, Ziplocs are wonderful things. So if you're going to portion out a little bit of nuts or portion out some dried fruit, and sometimes they have those sort of mixes that you can get at various stores, Costco, Sam's Club, Safeway, whatever, and you can get a big bag and you don't want to leave the whole big bag in your car because then your big bag could... You could put your big hand in the big bag and (laughs) just keep eating it. So if you put it in small little Ziplocs and kept those in your car, one way that it's non-perishable, you might be able to help if you're having that sort of, I've heard people describe it as, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm hangry. It could be your hangry bag. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. So that's one way to succeed. Let's talk with David from Mililani because he may have some suggestions as well. Daniel, I'm sorry. Daniel from Mililani. That's my handwriting. I'm sorry. That's just, you know, it happens. Daniel, what? give me some suggestions. What What can we do for you today? Well, I was wondering what the effects of ketosis were on the body because, uh, long story short, I was in Afghanistan. I'm in the Army. But uh, we, we, my, my sergeant, he had a, he was a bodybuilder. 
He's, you know, real big guy. And he wanted to cut, and he was showing me how to drop weight. And this was back when I was, like, fierce working out. And uh, he did this all-protein and just dark green leafy vegetables. He said, you're only supposed to do it for about two weeks or else stuff can happen to your body. And I was just wondering what to get some clarification on what could happen if you, like, Yeah, like, what's to, the stuff, Because right? I had a great success from it. I dropped, like, down to weight I hadn't been for a long time, so... So you tried this, you did the all-protein dark greens for about two weeks, and you were successful. I, I did it for more like three or four, actually. But it, it took it took a while because there was a lot of cheat days involved. And I guess it, it like restarts if you introduce you know starchy carbs into your diet again. Then you got to start all over again, yeah. Okay. Like, like He says it shocks your body or something like that. And I tried doing it later, and I ended up having... Uh, I had I had to go to a nephrologist because they said I had like blood in my uh, urine or something like that. So well, I was wondering what exactly does that do to your body if it, you do it for a long time? It's a great question, David, because essentially what you're describing is what are the long-term effects of ketosis? And that's very similar to what maybe 10 or 15 years ago, a lot of people were doing things that were like the Atkins diet. And it was sort of encouraging your body to be in a state of ketosis. And maybe it wasn't as drastic as just all protein and dark greens, but it was somewhat similar. And so the question that comes up is, what are the downsides of long-term ketosis? And you mentioned one of them, and that's kidneys. And there's a couple of others. Connie, weigh in on this, and then I'll go over some of the things that I've seen people have troubles with as well as, as, a, as a doc. So what, what have you seen? From a dietitian perspective, I think it can definitely um, give that maybe more instant weight loss result. But what I tend to notice and what I tend to work with people is more the after effect of this is a short-term um, solution, but if we were looking at more long-term um, goals, people tend to have a harder time coming out of the ketosis. And unfortunately, they also send, tend to notice some of the weight regain that occurs afterwards. Um, in the early stages with ketosis, people tend to also notice cravings because it's such a low carbohydrate amount that that can be really difficult to deal with. Okay. And medically, I've seen people who have had troubles depending on, and you know, you mentioned in particular that it was proteins and dark greens and not necessarily high fat. But some of the folks who had the high protein, high fat, no carbohydrates, which is one way to initiate ketosis, we saw like gallstones, severe constipation, no fun with hemorrhoids. I'm just going to stop there. You can guess. Um, but also some changes with memory and reactivity and energy level and ability to exercise. And you mentioned kidney troubles, and you're absolutely correct, because that's one of the other uh, potential implications is that it does put more stress on your body and your kidneys. But I think the greater issue is, you know, long term, if we don't give our body the type of nutrients that we need, then we're not going to be able to continue the body functions that we normally do. So I saw a lot of folks who decided to do drastic diets, they'd lose a lot of hair. Because our body has a way that it will support the growth of things that we need. But if we're not getting in enough nutrition, it'll stop the non-essentials. So people may notice their nails break. They may notice a lot of hair loss. They may notice that they're just not um, having as much energy as they used to. Wounds don't heal as well as they used to. It takes a longer time. So there's a variety of different negative consequences to not giving your body the nutrition that it really needs. And again, some of these... Some of these dietary changes people make, you know, we heard from Tom and he said, I'm cutting out the processed foods. So that's cutting out a certain type of carbohydrate, but not all of them. Whereas ketosis is 
very few carbohydrates. And, you know, yes, it helps you to lose weight, but long term, it may not be as effective and certainly not as safe. When you counsel people who come to see you, both Dr. Sato and Connie, and you're dealing with folks who have been through a variety of different diets, they're trying to lose weight, they're trying to make long-term changes in their lives, can they choose one of the diets like we hear about and be successful? Or is it really more of a life plan that they need to look at? Uh, from my perspective, it would have to be definitely more is it a, a life, long-term lifestyle change Um I think it's always good to just ask yourself really honestly, are the changes that the diet is asking you to make things that I can truly live with in the long term? And if the answer is no, then the success rate, the long term success rate is also going to be pretty low. Okay. And Dr. Sato, do you ever see people who have tried all these different diets and does that affect their their psychological well-being? I think it does. I think when you try a lot of diets and, you know, maybe even if, even if you have a little bit of success, but then you end up regaining the weight, I think it wears away on um, your confidence and in, in your, in your ability to make change. And so I think it can have a detrimental effect. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the services that that the Queen's Weight Management Center provides. There's a couple of myths that I thought we could go through. Because one of the first things that people often say to me is, well, I only need to go there if I want surgery. Right. And so that's definitely a myth because our program does offer non-surgical um, guided weight loss. And that would be sort of working with the dietitian and the bariatrician who's a medical doctor who's experienced with weight loss. Um, and so that's an option for folks who are not necessarily needing surgery but would like to take better control of their weight and their health. And do they sometimes get medication to help them? Um, that That is an option, although I think we primarily look at sort of dietary changes, and there are some uh, baseline things, like we do resting metabolic rate to find out sort of what range of calories um, they would need to stay within, and then coupling that, of course, with the, the behavior changes of exercise um, with the intention of having weight loss. So that's that's definitely, I think that's the, the, better, the bigger priority in the non-surgical patients. Well, and I think that's one of those things. I wish there was an easy way for people to figure out their resting metabolic rate. I think it would depress all of us because, <laughs> you know, you hear about how many calories that you can have in a day and you're like, oh, okay, that's like 1,200, 1,500, 1,800, super athlete, 2,000, who knows, right? And you say to yourself, so I can have that and stay the same weight. Why is that? That's because that's your resting metabolic rate. That's how many calories your body uses in your average day and that you need to replenish. Mm -hmm. So when you think you can have 2,000 calories and sit on the couch, you'd be really upset to know that's probably a 700-calorie day at most, and that could wind up being just your breakfast. So it really is one of those pieces of information that I think is really, really helpful to know, but you have to actually see an expert to have them do the evaluation and do the testing to figure that out. Right, absolutely. And of course, the doctors um, are going to look at your other medical issues to make sure that what you're doing is going to be safe. Which is the real key. So so we've busted the myth that you can only go because you want surgery. So that's not true. And what about you can only go because insurance only covers for surgery? Myth busted? Myth busted, correct. Okay. Yeah. You can only go if you have diabetes or high blood pressure or high cholesterol. High weight alone doesn't qualify you. No, there's lots of other different comorbidities that would qualify. Myth busted again. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
um, once you have surgery, you lose the weight, it never comes back. Yeah, that's definitely a myth. <laughs> myth busted yes. once more. Okay. We'll talk about each of these in just a few moments. Banding is equivalent to surgery. Uh, not as effective. I think research pans that out repeatedly. So why do people believe the myths? Well, I'm not sure. I think that there's sort of um, uh, knowledge that, or I shouldn't say knowledge. I think there's there's information floating around there that's not always accurate. And so oftentimes when patients come to the program, the first part of what we're doing is sort of going through all these myth-busting sort of steps so that they have a very realistic understanding of what interventions can and can't do. And there's a couple more that, that I sometimes just often wonder about. You know, losing 10 pounds a week is totally realistic. Not realistic Myth at busted. all, right, Connie? <laughs> like, no, that's not normal. Uh-uh. So how about surgery is cheating, you're taking the easy way out? That's probably a very common myth that folks come into the program. I shouldn't say that folks come into the program, but I think that's something that they hear often. And, and that sort of is... One of the things that prevents patients from even seeking our guidance and help is because they think it's the easy way out, and it's certainly not th- not the easy way out. Sure. We've actually had some of the surgeons that you probably work with who have been on the show before and who have said, you know, you have to commit to an hour of exercise every day. Mm-hmm. You have a window of opportunity after surgery to change your body. And if you don't work on it during that window of opportunity, the window closes. And you're not going to see at two or three years dramatic weight loss if you didn't work on it, if you've had surgery, within the first six months to a year. It's probably not going to happen. So you have this window of opportunity where you could take advantage of the metabolic change in your body. And if you don't, through the diet effects, through the exercise effects, there is such a thing as it's too late. Yeah, I, I think that's that's. I mean, some for truth the surgical that. weight loss right. to be effective, right. but certainly medical weight loss can occur at any point in your life. All right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, when people come in to see you, there's a process that they go through, and they often are given counseling and told that in order to qualify for surgery, we have to have had, had certain discussions to make sure that you're in the mental, emotional place where this is right for you. What are some of the red flags in someone you might see, Dr. Sato, which would make you go, "Eh, I don't think you're ready yet? Mm, Okay. So I think one of the red flags that we would look for um, would be sort of the uncontrolled emotional eating that can happen for folks. Um, The reason that's a concern is because we never want to set a patient up for failure, right? We always want to make sure that they're, you know, when they go to surgery, they're at their best um, and optimum chance for having good good weight loss outcome. Um, And so with the emotional eating, sometimes, you know, they can sort of make the dietary changes that that they're asked to do, um, but there could still be that sort of underlying habit there. And what we would be concerned about is after surgery, when they're not able to engage in that type of eating. They'll get depressed. They'll get depressed, right? And sometimes it could make for a very miserable life. And a harder post-operative recovery. Yes, absolutely. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ronnie Sato. She is a psychologist and Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert from the Queens Medical Center Weight Management Clinic 
They are both here at the downtown campus, but also available in Kona as well. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about some simple things that all of us could do to try and help make sure we get the nutrition that we need. And we'll go through some of our myths and we'll talk about why they're not true and what are some of the other things that people can do to make sure that they live a hopefully as happy and healthy, successful lives as they can. As always, our show is your show and you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands. 877-941-3689. If you've had gastric surgery before, we'd love to hear from you about your experience and maybe some of the things that you learned along the way. So do feel free to call us during our show, and we'll be right back after this quick break. I've been listening since I was four or five. I like to hear sound and storytelling, and I just like the very wide variety of stories that people write, ranging from remixes on classic fairy tales to modern-day storytelling about life, and I like to hear the different ways that people can read the same thing. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Singer-songwriter Ruth Sharoma Foster invites you to make music with her on September 3rd in HPR's Atherton Studio. Bring your uke and prepare to sing along, too. Make your reservations for Ruth Sharoma Foster and friends at hprtickets.org or at 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. We used to catch up in the mountain stream. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. And joining me today is Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert, and Dr. Ronnie Sato, psychologist, both from the Queen's Medical Center, weight management arranger. Uh, group and they're talking today about what we can all do to try and be healthier and what are some of the reasons why people may want to consider surgical weight loss. A lot of medical studies have shown that it can actually reverse diabetes. We've also seen it help people to lower their use of cholesterol medicine, also improve their joint health. We've seen that this actually can help in some cases for people to lower their blood pressure medicine use and really give them the energy that they've been missing and help them to to exercise and, and lead a health your life from that point onwards. It's not for everybody, but for a lot of folks, there are some reasons why this could be an option. Now, before the break, we were talking about myth busting. What are some of the things that people think about when they hear about surgery that they may not be aware of? And we've heard that it is, you know, even surgery or even without surgery, weight management services are often covered through insurance. Various different medical diagnoses can qualify you. And that really the goal is to help you reach a healthier status for your body and for your health. And that's certainly a goal that everybody would have, all doctors uh, and, and all staff included. Now, when we think about people who would meet criteria, there are criteria meet criteria to be considered for surgery. Some of the criteria are medical. Granted, you can't have 
serious heart disease, you better fix that first because you might not do well with any sort of drastic diet change or, or any type of surgery. If you have a lung condition that is not controlled, again, focus on controlling your other medical problems. But what are some of the psychological, I don't want to call them requirements, but things that you need to meet in order to be eligible to participate in weight management services, whether they be surgical or not surgical? Dr. Sato? Well, I think one of the first things that we're going to do with patients is really look at their emotional um, functioning because we want to make sure that they're stable. Obviously, if there are any sort of uncontrolled symptoms of depression or anxiety or that sort, it's really difficult to make behavior changes. And so the first step is really assessing you know, how stable is this patient and are they willing to? Is this a good time in their life to actually sit down and make some changes? So making sure they're in good psychological well-being and have good health from the emotional standpoint. Because you mentioned if you're an emotional eater and that gives you happiness and you take away the eating aspect of that, Mm -hmm. you need to have other sources of finding happiness. Right. Or else you're going to get depressed. Right, right. All right. Although you'll be happy that you'll fit in your clothes, you'll be depressed because you don't want to wear them (laughs) and go anywhere. Okay. So there are are some some issues about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have a caller on the line. We have April calling in from Pearl City. April, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello there. What can we do for you? Well, I'm wondering about, I've seen recently uh, powdered peanut butter, and I was wondering if that is a reasonable uh, thing to to use for, like, protein shakes and stuff like that. I have issues I can't digest way very well, and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't take diet pills or anything like that without getting a lot of stomach issues. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for something that will help me just kind of, push my weight loss just a little bit, um, and I was looking at the powdered peanut butter, but I wasn't sure if that was a, a really a good option because now we're talking it's processed, right? It's, it's more processed than regular peanut butter. Interesting. So you're wondering, how can you add more protein in your diet? You're trying to work on weight loss. You want to up the protein. And what's a safe alternative to like whey protein, which you don't tolerate so well? Right. Connie? That's a really good question. So one of the reasons why whey protein um, is recommended sometimes is that the digestibility, it's very quick digesting. um, And then depending on the filtration, it can be... um, it can have the benefits there as well. But if you're having um, difficulty with digesting whey protein, I'm not quite sure that the peanut butter powdered protein would be dense enough to be able to kind of give the same equivalent benefits as the whey. Um, But I think you're on the right track with wanting to seek out less processed ways of being able to still get in that protein uh, nutrition. Um, You know, I'm going to really suggest taking just a look at the diet and looking to see um, where protein comes in throughout the day. Um, Certainly, I think most of us perhaps maybe tend to include protein with our meals, but oftentimes it's missing from those snacks in between. Um, So whether it be throwing in an egg with your... with your apple or just a piece of string cheese with your apple, other kinds of fruits. I think um, getting bits of protein in throughout not just your meals but also with your snacks can be a way to do it. Interesting. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, April. And, you know, I never would have thought let's have some egg with an apple. Mm-hmm. but. You know, it's probably going to give you the protein and the apple gives you the snack. Correct. Plus also string cheese. I mean, you know, everybody has apple and cheese or grapes and cheese or some kind of like like cheese makes everything better. I mean, (laughs) I can't think of anything. Cheese does not improve. 
So if that's one way to get protein, hey, that's an easy way that you could maybe substitute that in your diet. And it's interesting you mentioned maybe not just go find it in a powdered format. What Mm -hmm. if you got the actual food? Mm -hmm. Kind of getting back to that whole idea of having the actual food, which may make it a little less convenient, Mm -hmm. but may make it something that's healthier for your body. Certainly. Um, There's... You know, as far as we've come along with nutrition research, we still have a long way to go. And I think for a while we've been chasing more the the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals, and not necessarily looking at the bigger picture of the food in general. Um, is the carrot only giving us vitamin A or are there other kind of things that we don't really know about yet? Um, I'm more of a believer that it's the whole food itself, not just the individual component that's really nourishing our bodies. So there may be ingredients that we haven't discovered. Perhaps, yeah. Or if we have discovered it, we may not know how good it is for the body. Correct, or how it interacts with other foods or or the like. So what are your smart snacks? Um, my go-to is, I just mentioned it, a piece of cheese with apple slices. That's a really good two one. Um, I also like to just, um, I keep like a bunch of yogurts or other kind of dairy foods at work and then pair them up with, um, same thing, fruits or crackers. Um, just easy kind of grab-and-go things that don't require a whole lot of prep or cooking or anything like that um, are really convenient, yet healthy. So what about some of the protein bars? You see those in various stores. Mm -hmm. You can see them in bulk at Costco. Sometimes they're fiber bars, they're protein bars. They seem to be really quick and easy. Are they as healthy as we seem to think? Not necessarily. Um, A lot of them can be really just candy bars in disguise. Well, then I feel healthier, though, (laughs) because it says protein bar and it tastes like candy. And I feel like I've done my job. So really? Yeah, unfortunately, they're they're marketed that way. So um, if you were to go for a protein bar, not all of them are bad, but certainly, you know, reaching for ones that are going to appear a little less processed. Like if you can see that it's got nuts in it, it's probably a you little bit. You can actually be- see the nuts. Right. Versus it's going to be a bit better off than one that actually looks more like a Snickers bar or something. Um, but certainly also taking a look at the sugar content, the fat content. Um, and, you know, I think there's a reasonable way to be able to incorporate those. Again, something to keep in your purse, keep in your office desk or your car even um, in a pinch. Sure, because a lot of folks don't eat breakfast. How bad is that for us? Oh, there's a reason why it's, you know, the one of the most important meals. I think it really just sets the body off um, on a good footing if you can really nourish your body right from the get-go, especially if we've spent, you know, a good six, eight hours without eating anything. Our body is getting ready to kind of replenish itself. Um I also do like to encourage that you don't have to have a full-blown breakfast if you just want something small. I think even the smallest thing, again, protein plus fiber, um, can be enough if you're not really a big breakfast eater. So get the body going with something. Yes. And how true is it that, you know, three big meals a day versus six small meals, six small meals are better? Um, I think that that answer will very really vary person to person. There. I would, I would say in general, trying to eat about every three, four hours works for most people. I would say for um, the vast majority of people that I work with, you know, when we're talking about not going eating five, six hours, that's when the hunger and the stress eating tends to set in. I'm uh, hungry, give me it now, whatever <laughs> right. it is. So um, the sweet spot for most people tends to be about, you know, three main meals and then maybe a mid-afternoon snack. But if you don't follow a traditional schedule, that might vary. So, you know, that's the interesting thing, because you can have people who do the night shift, people who start work later, Mm -hmm. people who get up later. So really figuring out what your body is telling you and how you can optimally perform. But for those folks who say, I never eat breakfast, I'm fine, I don't eat till dinner, and I'm okay, maybe their body isn't getting everything that they need. 
it's possible. And sometimes the evidence for, you know, being okay is a little underlying. Um, in certain situations, I find when people are missing meals or missing snacks, then they notice the nighttime hunger and the nighttime craving. And maybe that's related to going the whole day without eating and suddenly it's kind of catching up with you. Or maybe there's other reasons. But um, I tend to think that there's definitely a relationship between the time going between eating and then the hunger that you might experience later on through the day. Sure. So look at that. Because when you're hungry and you're angry, when you're hangry, <laughs> you're going to reach for whatever's in the fridge and whatever you can eat quickly without cooking or preparing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have your house full of, you know, carrot sticks, celery sticks, some kind of healthy vegetable, and you find some of that other stuff in the fridge that seems so good, rice pudding, who knows what else is there, <laughs> right? You bring it on. right? So that's another key, I think having to balance that component of I have healthy foods available and I'm going to choose those because I'm not going to wait so long that I'll eat anything, including my shoe. Yes. Okay. Now, when you talk with folks, Dr. Sato, who are emotional eaters, you mentioned that that may be something that they're going to have a harder time if they are to do something dietary wise, that they're going to have to find a substitute for the emotional eating. What are some of the substitutes? I mean, I just said go buy purses or buy wallets. You can only have <laughs> yeah. so many of those. Yeah. What are some other substitutes? Is there is there ever an opportunity where you kind of look and say, well, what is the emotion underlying this? How is it or why is it that you feel that way? And addressing that issue rather than just buying yourself a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So you, you bring up two really good points because, yes, the um, you, you always want to look at, we always want to look at the underlying issue. People, people say, oh, I'm so stressed, I feel stressed. But really sometimes there are very specific emotions that are underlying that stress. So whether that's with the primary relationships or whatever it might be, or it could even be to Traffic. With, it could be traffic. It could be anything and a, a combination of things for most people. But so looking at those underlying emotions, definitely part of it. Second thing that you brought up is the coping Piece, which is we all have things that we have to cope with. And the question is, you know, can we develop some better skills to, to cope with these kinds of um, stressors, right? So there's not a universal fit for any, I think it depends on the person. Um, you know, for some people, spending time with loved ones or, um, you know, uh, taking time to exercise is a really good one because that really relieves stress in many ways. Um, but finding the things that make you a happier human being, if you can find those things and get more of that into your life, then that's going to make you less apt to do sort of the quick fix coping things like eating. So if you find something else that gives you joy, focus on that. Right. If you like to see sunset, go walk around, Mm -hmm. go be out in fresh air, see the sunset. If you like to spend time with friends, if you like to just walk around the mall, you don't have to buy stuff. Right. It makes you feel like you want to, but you don't have to. So finding ways that you can fulfill those needs without necessarily having to feed the needs, right. literally. Right. And, and and the other part of that equation is really aligning your behaviors with your intention, which is if I want to lose weight or if I want to be a healthier person, then those things that you're using for coping should really be aligned with that goal. So then I need to make sure I have exercise clothes more than I need to make sure that I've got a pantry full of treats. Right. It's okay, okay. to have a new purse, but wouldn't it be great to have you know those great running shoes to get out? And that's going to encourage you to be more active. So these are some of the these are some of the tricks of the trade that you know. <laughs> now, a lot of times people want to hear more about the weight management services. They think it might just be surgical, but there's all these other components. We talked about the medical aspect of it. We talked about even having a physician help, whether it be medications or nutrition and just the counseling aspect. Where can people find out more? 
So I think the quickest way would be, of course, to visit our website because we have some videos that are posted now and also testimonials from different patients who have, um, you know, sh- who are willing to share their experience. So the website's definitely one place. Um, we're also on Facebook. Um, so that's another option. I think initially, if if patients are unsure whether they're going to qualify for it, then of course calling us because we have a great intake process where they'll look at the insurance piece and then of course the comor- comorbidities to see if you qualify. And then of course the first thing that every patient goes through when they come to our program is an info session so they get a lot of information. Now tell me about the info sessions because they happen all year round and not just here on Oahu. No, we have them in Kona, in Hilo, and um, right now at Punchbowl, we used to have it at West, and we're hoping to get that. Or we still do have it at West. I take that back. We do have it at West. So we're doing it at four different locations. And basically, you know, the surgeons have an opportunity to speak. Um, Oftentimes, there'll be other patients who have had surgery who are there to answer questions from folks who are considering the different options. Um, But I think the information... um, session is really a critical component because that's where you really start to understand all the different pieces of the the uh, services we offer. Now, you mentioned a website. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it is? Well, I can't tell you the exact URL, I but I can say, oh, good. <laughs> Connie's like, I can. I'm like, okay, that's good because Ronnie doesn't know. <laughs> I believe it's www.queens.org slash weight loss. So even if you went to the queens.org, right. you could probably find yes. it somewhere on that page. And if you can do the slash weight loss, you may see more information. Correct. Okay. And the Queens referral line, probably a good source for folks if they needed to get more information. They'll direct you to us, right? Connie, do you know what that is? I do. All right. You're on. <laughs> the Wait. Line? The phone number. The oh, I don't know line. the phone number now. <laughs> okay. But if you... I thought you were asking if I knew about it, but I don't know the number. Okay, well Sorry. we can we can post the number on our Facebook page. I think it's easy to uh, to find out. And there's always the operators four one one can always help anybody get any information and Six. any phone numbers. Okay, so that's another way that people can get that. But you can call and they will actually send you to appropriate locations where you can get more information and find out more about it. Because really, this is one of those things where I think. For those folks that you've seen go through the program, and I'm sure both of you have, have you seen a lot of success when people have gone through? It's wonderful when when folks are successful because you really see their life turn around. Quality of life improves. Um, just it's 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 an honor for us to I think witness it. I agree. And for those folks that have gone through, about how many folks do you know of that have gone through the program in the last few years? Gosh, I don't Let's know the number. Hundreds. I mean. Um, you know, it's, we have patients come through all, all week long, so Mm -hmm. hundreds and it's always, um, you know, when they do come back after a while and they've lost that weight, sometimes they're a little, um, hard to recognize because they look so different. You look at them and you go, wait a minute, who are you? And they say hello and they're like, you don't remember me? And you're like, uh, (laughs) what? All right. So I have found the Queen's referral line number for you guys. Okay, I'm looking at an 808-691-7117. I Googled it while you guys were talking. Our, our direct number is um, 808-691-7546. Okay, so you have the direct number. We've got the referral line number. We've got the website. Lots of good information. That way, really, if people want to go ahead and find out more, there are ways that they can do so. And you can go to an info session that doesn't commit you to anything other than getting information. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And you mentioned that they're not only here in downtown, but they're also in Hilo and they're in Kona and out at West as well. So lots of options for people should they be considering trying to focus on a more medical or surgical way to work on weight loss. Mm All right. I want to thank both of you for coming in today. Thank you. Dr. Ronnie Sato, psychologist, and Connie Wong, dietitian and nutrition expert, both from the Queens Weight Management Center. And if you want to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Woo!